1: Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning.
2: Shop now in store or online. Kroger fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of the global story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
3: Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.
4: What's up, guys? we got a great show coming to you this week. A fantastic guest that you guys are familiar with, The Takeaways with Gresham. As always, we get to all of your questions in the six-pack. Let's go. All right, welcome back in. We're going into the second week of training camp now. Maybe it doesn't really feel like it because you're not turning on the TV and seeing guys uh, running into each other. Uh, You don't see Tom Brady in his new Buccaneers helmet, Joe Burrow in his new Bengals helmet, Tua Below in his new Dolphins helmet. And I'm not all over the country right now. I'm actually sitting at home, and teams are just getting out onto the field now um, for the strength and conditioning phase of training camp. That'll go for nine days. They'll get eight days of work in. With a day off mixed in, um, they'll have walkthroughs. So that's the closest thing to football activity um, that, that that will happen over the next uh, over the next week or so. Um, it's the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer, in case you didn't already know. And we're going to jump right into the takeaways with that. That, that is the backdrop um, so far. Gresh, uh, and we're welcoming Andy Gresh of course from WPRO. So far, really all we've gotten is who's testing positive for COVID. Who's going on the PUP list? Um, it's been an interesting few days. So, like, I don't know. Like, like, how does this feel for you? Like, because you're obviously on the radio every night, and normally you would have something to chew on football-wise, and now you don't.
5: Yeah, I, I think for some of it, Bert, it is the uh, overreaction of some because what fans are going through right now – is what other what fans of other leagues have gone through, right? Like when the NHL reported, they had their COVID positives. When MLB reported, they had their COVID positives. So I think right now the NFL is going through that. And, of course, it's, oh, my God, look at all of these players who are testing positive and look at this result and that result and this guy's opting out and that guy's opting out. We're really in that early reactionary phase for the NFL that we've already gone through with those other sports. So a part of it makes me chuckle because we see what's going on in other sports, yet we, we we still look at the NFL in its own vacuum. Like in some ways it's just happening for the very first time when in reality, if you compare it to other sports, they're going through what everybody else has gone through. So I admit, Bert, I sit back and chuckle a little bit. Because we don't even know the guys who have completely opted out just yet. And I know that's been a bit of a moving target. But until we have that list, then everybody is rubber-stamped. Then everybody has sort of passed their test. Then we can really start to sink our teeth into what certain teams' rosters are and aren't going to look like.
4: And that list, so everybody knows, is due on Thursday at 4 p.m. So we will have the final opt-out list outside of like the – it's just outside of the, 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 the emergency situations, which they are allowing for the league and the union work that out, where if you have a, a family member gets sick or you get sick, like you might have a you know a narrow path to opting out. Um, we will know the majority of the players who are opting out uh, about, I think, 48 hours from this recording, maybe closer to 36 hours from when you're listening to this. And we'll jump right into the takeaways, Gresh. And this actually all flows right into my first takeaway, so Gardner Minshew goes on the COVID list. He never tested positive. He happens to live with two teammates who are also on the COVID list, the assumption being one of them got it. And because they're roommates, they all wind up on the list. Matthew Stafford lands on the COVID list. The Lions just released a statement. Um, it confirms something that I had in the Monday morning column, which was that he tested negative on Tuesday of last week. He tested negative on Wednesday of last week, tested positive on Friday, came back, and he has passed three COVID tests He's cleared to go back in the building now. So um, the team's calling it a false positive. I think it's fair to make that assumption now. And, you know, then you have Doug Peterson, who tested positive as well. He's the second head coach joining Sean Payton to have tested positive for COVID. Obviously, Payton was months ago. I, Gresh, my takeaway off of this is that we're going to be dealing with this all year, you know. And, and I just, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting because right now I think the it's manageable, you know what happens if a quarterback has a false positive on a Saturday and you think about the jobs that are on the line, you think about like, you know, if you're Dan Quinn in Atlanta or you're Doug Marone in Jacksonville, like how that could actually affect, you know, your, your livelihood, you know, your career. Um, it's interesting because I just, I don't know if it's going to take on a feel because I was too young to really remember the 87 strike. Um, but I've, I've heard people reference that, um, they're, we're going to be dealing with this all year. Like, and I just, I don't know if there's any getting around it. We're going to have false positives. We're going to have guys who come into contact with people who have it. Uh, you know, people's, you know, people's kids are going to go back to school. People's wives are going to go back to work. I, like, it's just, I mean, I think this is sort of the reality of it. And I think we're getting like a little window into it now where it's not going to take someone getting deathly ill for it to create a problem for teams
5: the coaches that have the ability to adapt on the fly and have built flexibility into their roster to me bird are going to be the ones that are ultimately going to survive because when you think of th- these guys all try to prepare for the unknown right like mm-hmm. i need a third tackle that's got a starting grade i need you know the way you put together a roster and the way that that traditional nfl think is is that you try to prepare for the unknown, but you can guess what those unknowns are going to be from an injury front, from a cap standpoint. This is one where you might lose two defensive linemen on a Thursday night, and then what are you going to do defensively, and how do you have the ability to adapt? And that, to me, is what is going to make this year fascinating because I'm, a, I'm a 100% with you in that this is going to be something we're managing all year long and there will be a flare-up. And I think I said it to you last week here on this podcast, I think we're going to get a forfeit this year. A team is going to have to yeah. throw their hand in the air and just say, we can't field a team safely. We're just going to have to let this one pass by. And it ain't going away anytime soon. And God almighty, bird, I really hope that these NFL players are looking at what's going on in Major League Baseball right now and they're realizing the level of commitment they are going to need. Like, I'll be honest with you, I was surprised Peterson came up positive because like Sean Payton, his was what, February, March? It was really yeah, early was on the the beginning. Yeah, yeah, and that was a hot spot there in New Orleans, whereas we've all been telling people to wash their hands and wear a mask and try to take care of themselves. And it's just interesting to me that a head coach who's going to be preaching that message for a six-month period to his football team, if the Eagles get to where they think they can go, and that is the Super Bowl. It's just interesting that he turned up testing positive for COVID when he's going to be preaching the gospel. You got to stay on the straight and narrow.
4: Does that make the message more effective, though? You know what I mean? Like, mm. I like the fact that he's been through it. Like, if you're, if you're the one, I mean, like if you're Sean Payton or Doug Peterson, and you're saying, look, I didn't do anything wrong, like, you know, like, like I, 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 you can't be careful enough because it could still get you even if you you're being responsible and you're doing everything right. Like I would almost think that that would add some weight to the message where it's like, look, if you want to give yourself the best chance of being on the field on Sunday, like I can't give you a hundred percent formula to do it, but I'm telling you, you damn sure better do ninety to ninety-five percent. You damn sure better give yourself that ninety to ninety-five percent chance that you avoid it. Because no matter what you do, you can't eliminate it altogether.
5: I think it depends on the respect that the coach already has in the room. And for Peterson, what you laid out will work for him. But say that's last say it's Fred Kitchens rolling in there and the team's like, get out of here, you rube. You caught it, you dope. You know what I mean? Like there are guys that are going to think that way. I think because Peterson has the command and the respect of the, the players on that team that they will sit and listen to him versus some coaches. And I'll leave some currently employed coaches off that list. I went to a last year example, so I didn't hurt anybody's feelers.
4: Yeah. Well, you can leave Freddie alone. That's my guy. Freddy's good, good people. There oh, we go. Freddie's good I'm people.
5: I'm sure he is if you're out right.
4: you know, drinking a beer, telling stories around a campfire. <laughs> I don't want him as my dad gum head coach. So all right, we'll leave we'll leave Freddie there. We'll leave okay. COVID there. I do want to talk some football. Um and I, I my second takeaway, so it see it feels like Alex Smith's building some momentum in Washington. And like, you know, so he – Got cleared by his own doctor. He's still on PUP, but Ron Rivera said some encouraging things. The other thing that I was able to kind of ascertain, having turned over some rocks the last couple of days, he batted a thousand as far as attendance in the off-season program. So he was there for all of that. So everything that Dwayne Haskins and Kyle Allen got, he got. And here's the best part of it for the for for, for Washington. God, I'm going to call them. The R word until like it's this is going to be the same as the Chargers were with. There you go. Yeah. So, like, the thing I think that's good about this situation, if you look at their quarterback room now, right, they've got the first round pick in Dwayne Haskins, right? They've got the young player who's shown some promise, who has experience in their system in Kyle Allen with those guys in Carolina, right? And then you've got the experienced guy who. Not only can he be a great resource for the younger guys in the room, he can start for you without question, right? Like he's been a playoff quarterback in the league for two different franchises. And on top of that, you know what else is great about this for Washington is for the football team is that uh, the guy has been in these sorts of situations in the past. In 2011, Colin Kaepernick took his job. And or no, I was 12 in 2012. Colin Kaepernick took his job, they went to the Super Bowl. He was a he 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 handled that one great, right? That team wound up in the Super Bowl in 2016. He was the chief starting quarterback when they drafted Patrick Mahomes. And if you ask Patrick Mahomes about Alex Smith, I'm telling you, like, you will get a glowing, glowing review of the job that Alex Smith did in helping him along. And so, I think this is perfect. Like if I'm Washington right now, you know what I think? If we're bad at the position, we're going to be we're bad in a very good year to be bad at the position because Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Trey Lance are coming out next year. I think but we're giving ourselves a good shot here. We've got three options that we sort of like, you know? So maybe Dwayne Haskins is the guy. If he's not, you've got a guy who's got a lot of experience behind him. And behind that guy, you've got another young guy you like who's got background in your offense.
5: The best thing that could happen for the Washington football team would be for Alex Smith to get get back out on the field. From this standpoint, it'll be the story that will take away from the other story around that team. They need something good to happen, and let's be real. If Alex Smith gets back on the field – this would be the equivalent in 1988 or 9 or whatever it would have been of Joe Theismann going through what he went through and getting back out on the field. I mean, that's the, the level of injury that we're talking about here. And I think from the backup standpoint, Bert, there is no question. Look, Alex Smith has dealt with being the number one pick to that other quarterback for so many years that there's got to be a part of him that's like, hey, listen, you know, like not for nothing, y'all, but I've, I've survived 15 years in the NFL just because he didn't turn out to be Aaron Rodgers in a surefire Hall of Famer doesn't mean he hasn't handled himself correctly, can't play the position. He can play the position. He can still play at this yeah. point. But you know what you're getting with him. And you're right. The quarterback spot seems to be loaded there. I just look and see a really average football team. And- right. I if Alex, I'll tell you what the the field it would be great for the franchise. But if Alex Smith played a bunch, it'd be bad long term for the
4: franchise because we know he ain't the guy. Dude, the the best result, the best result for the for Washington is Dwayne Haskins comes in and lights the world on fire. Well, there you go. That's the best the best result. I mean, Alex Smith's a great story. The best result is that you got a 22 year old on your roster who you believe in.
5: Now, look if that does happen where Alex Smith is really going to add some value, hopefully, is helping Dwayne Haskins navigate what are going to be some choppy waters early on in terms of you're the head coach or the quarterback, in a way, you're the spokesman for the football team. And he's a 22-year-old guy who we know has said some things I'm sure he'd love to take back. But he's gonna be speaking on social issues. He's gonna be talking about that R word eventually when it gets changed and having to sort of champion that and ask quite and answer questions. And that's maybe where Alex Smith might be able to help the young'un early on, is to be yeah. able to maybe coach him up on how to
4: handle that crap because you know it's coming. And it's tough because I mean I like the other part I look at this is like I so one tie that I've one, – one thing that I've tied to the guys who really had success as young quarterbacks, okay? And if you look at the last three years, it's really it's, – it was Carson Wentz before he tore his ACL the year. The Eagles won the Super Bowl. It was Patrick Mahomes, right, in 2018, and then it was Lamar Jackson last year. Mm-hmm. But those guys had all three of them. What, what, one, thing that, one very specific thing they had in common that I, I don't think – you'll love this one. Okay, great offensive tackles. Like oh. Really, really good offensive tackle play. Key to life. Okay, so, I, like, look at it though. Who did Who did Carson Wentz have? Oh. Carson Wentz had Jason Peters and Lane Johnson. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes had Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. Mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson had Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown. There it is, and that's one of the things where I just have some reservations. Like, with how far your quarter young quarterback can take you because you lost Trent Williams, and let's be honest, you don't really have a replacement for. Him. no nope.
0: Bateman. so
4: so that's sort of where that's at. Um then that was sort of an aside anyway. all right. topic topic number four, Rashad Bateman, receiver from Minnesota. I, I think a guy who is going to be looked at is probably a top half of the first round guy. The comp I got for him was Corey Davis, who was the fifth overall pick. That was this, four years ago now. Um, to the Tennessee Titans three years ago. To the Tennessee Titans. Um, so he he has opted out. Caleb Farley, the corner from uh, the corner from the uh, from Virginia Tech, opted out. And so this brings up an interesting question, Gresh, which is, and we're going to talk about this with our guest. How many guys opt out? And I'm just, I, 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 like I can tell you definitively, agents are all over these kids right now. It's a problem for college coaches, and these kids should consider their options. And so I'm going to run down a list of names really quick, just so our just so our listeners have them of guys who I think are top half of the first round guys that could that 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 that, that probably are thinking about it. Okay, you got the three quarterbacks: Trey Lance at North Dakota State, Justin Fields at Ohio State, and of course. Uh, Trevor Lawrence at um, a, a, at Clemson. On top of that, LSU receiver Jamar Chase, Clemson running back Travis Etienne, Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons, Miami defensive end Gregory Rousseau, Oregon offensive tackle Panay Sewell, Alabama receivers Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, Alabama corner Patrick Sertain, um, which uh, that name sounds familiar, right, Gresh? That's Patrick Sertain Jr., Mm-hmm. Ohio State corner Sean Wade, Florida State defensive tackle Marvin Wilson. I threw Alabama linebacker Dylan Moses in there. Gosh, I think there are going to be more of these. I think that there is a, I, I think there is a limit to the number of kids who should seriously consider this. I think if you are a guy who's at the level of the two kids who just did it, I think you, you like, like you've got legitimate. Like there is a legitimate reason why you should consider it. I'd also say this. I feel like every September there are like 60 guys who are looked at as as future first round picks, right? Like like 60, 70 guys that guy's going to be a first round pick this year. Mm-hmm. The truth is there can only be 32 of them. I I just think like I think you have to be the elite of the elite to sit out the year. That's my takeaway here. It's like you have to be you have to have a very established resume otherwise I do think you run the risk of being the guy who thinks and has people telling him, oh, you're going in the first round or second round, and then you wind up going in the fifth or sixth round.
5: There's no question the evaluation of the player matters. But I think there, it's a little more than football that maybe we need to take into account or think about in, in terms of talking to some of these kids. You know, If you're at a Pac-12 institution and we know that the athletes are starting to rise up in the Pac-12, and let's say that situation completely turns chaotic. Yep. At what point, if you're a good, good player on a Pac-12 team and it's, hey, this is getting a little too crazy for me, I got to look out for myself, you raise your hand, you step out the door, you walk out the back, and there you go. I, I look at that as something the kids are going to have to consider. There are, you know, what kind of schedule am I going to play? Because, yeah. you know, let's let's say, for example, and I'll just use a team that I know, right? Look, like I, I, I do those UMass games on TV. Let's say there's a kid there who's a first-round pick, right? You're going to play six games for funsies this year and run the risk when it may not really improve your draft stock that much. There are going to be a lot of variables in this, and I'm with you. I think not only, Bert, are we going to have some elite guys back out? Like I don't expect Trevor Lawrence to bail out because if Trevor Lawrence wins another, you know they get another national title, he puts another ring on his finger. I mean that that elevates him to a legendary status within the game. But you're going to see guys who maybe get off to a good start and they start to hear, "Hey, man, you're you're projected to be a first round pick." Maybe those guys get wonky in the middle of the year and be like, "Hey, you know I what? Maybe it's thought about that." Off now. I yeah. mean, there's dude, this is going to be. Coaches are going to be pulling their hair out this year because all it takes, too, is one, say, you know, one team in the SEC all of a sudden has an outbreak and you just played that team and you're a projected, you know, top 20 pick, and you got four games left to go, and you're like, hey, man, I got to be as healthy as I can. If we're starting to see it with kids doing this for bowl games, I would expect there's going to be a land rush here pretty soon of college kids who will do it. And to your point, and you're right on on this it should be the elite of the elite but we're going to have a lot of kids who are going to opt out with delusions
4: of grandeur here's what i think here's what i like what i've learned one thing i've learned covering the nfl for 15 years right uh, and especially about the draft is a lot of times the difference between going in the second round and the fifth round is like that right so you have your kids who are you just freaks like Mark, Micah Parsons at Penn State's a good example of that, right? Like I would say Jamar Chase at LSU, like his level of production so great, was so great. Like that it's just there are some certain guys where it's just undeniable how good they are, how talented they are, how they will have a place in the NFL. But I'm just telling you, Gresh, the difference between going forty-fifth and like two hundredth overall. Is not big, it's one
5: great workout,
4: arguably. Yeah, and the- so I, I just and 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 I just like that's the thing is so I sort of like look at this and I'm like, you know, it's you, you better be get you better have like a pretty you better have like a pretty, and I'm not talking. And by the way, one thing I want to make clear: I'm not talking about the kids who have like at-risk parents or who have a serious health issue. That's a different category, right? Correct. Like if, like if a kid's got something like seriously that he that like that is totally different and valid, one hundred percent. You know, but if a kid's just going to come out for the draft, I just I, I just don't think that the, you do not like. I don't think you want to give that you know that NFL team the space to say, well, it's close. We really like this kid, but he hadn't played in two years, and we don't know how he's developed. And remember, people get hired and fired on these sorts of decisions. And so, you know, I just think like with a first, with a no doubt about it, top half of the first round guy, absolutely should think about it. No question about it. Would never begrudge Caleb Farley or Rashad Bateman because those guys are in that category. I just think with the other guys, it's just like like with a, with a guy who's going to go who's. You know, outside of the first round right now, I think it's a much, much more difficult decision to make. And all your Ohio State kids, you stay in, you see,
5: because <laughs> Albert Breer wants another national title, then you can leave.
4: OK, we'll move on there. Then uh, <laughs> takeaway number four. Uh, Antonio Brown, since we
3: last oh. talked.
4: here we go.. <laughs> <laughs> We're fired up, fired
5: up. Yeah,
4: boy. Oh, right. come on. Give me the details on this room. Antonio Brown has been suspended but for eight games by the NFL. On paper, Gresh, on pray paper, I would say that this helps him in that there is at least some clarity on this situation. And if a team's going to sign him, they know what they, they, they know the deal now. They're not guessing, right? Like, And you're not taking on that sort of risk for a guy who might be suspended for the whole year. I, I think he lands on a roster. I do. I, I, I think he's too good a player. I do think he wants to play. I, look, if you'd asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have been iffy on it. But right now I look at this and I look at like Seattle and they've turned over rocks on him. And Pete Carroll has always been willing to take risks. And they're the kind of team, like New England's been forever, Gresh, that can bring in a guy and just and, – and, and, and if it doesn't work two weeks later, wash their hands of him to no effect. Right, like so. I don't know if it's in Seattle. Seattle will be the team I put my money on right now. I think I think Antonio Brown's probably going to play in the NFL in November and December.
5: I love it how you're going to fall for the old banana and the tailpipe trick. And there's going to be a team that'll do it. You know, it's the old. Uh, I'm not but, falling for anything, by the way. All I'm saying is I think he's going to play. Oh, yeah. I, but, but it's going to uh, – you're right. You're not the one signing him. However, there's going to be some GM that's going to wipe out on that banana peel who's then going to allow Antonio Brown in, and maybe for a week or two he'll be okay, and then he'll Antonio Brown it up like he always does, and we'll screw it up. And look, when you go to New England, okay, you and I have been around this organization all of our working lives – when you screw up there, you are so unlikely to get another chance, regardless of how talented you are. And look, I get it. This guy's got boatloads of talent, but he ain't worth it. He, it, it, Tom Brady couldn't save him. That is the closest thing to Jesus and Cleats in the National Football League. And that guy couldn't figure out how to be able to save Antonio Brown. So – I do kind of agree with you. There will be someone that will bring him in, and then he'll go away for eight weeks, and then guess what's going to happen in week nine? It's going to be the Antonio Brown Instagram party, and he's going to go out, and he'll get eight catches for 100 yards and two touchdowns, and then he'll go do something stupid, and then you'll be writing about him in week 12 because he's sitting on the sidelines crying, blaming everybody for his problems, even though he already got rid of his agent.
4: You want to do a little story time? Well, please do. All right, so I'll do a little story time here. I, uh, <clears throat> I remember this conversation I had with a, let's just say it's a, it a guy who was a head coach in the NFL for a long time. And early in his career, he took risks. He took risks in the draft. He took risks in free agency. And he wound up getting burned for a, on a few of them. And I, ha- I remember having this discussion with him about those sorts of things. And he said to me, you know, there came a time when I just figured out, I like, I can't, like, when I take these risks, I have to do it when the guy is lower than whale bleep. Mm-hmm. And his point was, when the guy is lower than whale bleep, who controls the situation? I do. I control the situation. Mm-hmm. Because now he doesn't have a hefty signing bonus. Now he doesn't have a, he, he doesn't have a guarantee. Like if I'm bringing him in, if I'm buying low on him, mm-hmm. I've got all the upside, I've got the potential upside, and I control the situation. And the more I thought about that discussion, the more I realized that's exactly what Bill does. Bill buys low, bought low on Randy Moss, bought low on Corey Dillon, bought low on Albert Hainsworth, bought low on Chad Ochocinco. He very rarely buys low on people, or b- buys high on people. He buys low on people. And so this coach kind of explained to me, he's like, we got a lot better once that happened because what ended up happening was we take these risks and sometimes they worked and sometimes they didn't, but that guy had to ingratiate himself into the locker room. He wasn't coming into the locker room at a place where he could screw things up. He was coming into the locker room in a place where he had to prove himself to everybody else and not the other way around. And he knew he had to show who he was to the coaching staff in a positive way or he'd be gone. And so I just thought it was a really interesting way to look at it where my guess is Pete Carroll would look at it that way.
5: Well, Bert, I guess I would say this, that, uh, uh, well, you know, Albert, we, uh, we thought we had him too. And
4: uh,
5: <laughs> he uh, uh, became too much of a problem.
4: Key I, difference, key difference, key difference is he was set to make 10 million bucks in New England. And I think money is power in the NFL. He already collected a signing bonus. And I just think like in a lot of these cases, some of it can come down to I'm on my last shot. Mm -hmm. I sat out there forever. I'm not saying it will work. I'm just saying like, I think Seattle, a team like Seattle can look at this and say, yeah, like let's kick the tires. Let's bring them in. Even now, like you say like, let's bring them in now and give them three three weeks to make it work. And then he's got to go away because he'll be suspended. But we'll get like a three-week trial, and if we think he's got it lined up, then okay, maybe. And like, look, like the moral question is obviously different. And like, if you got a moral issue with bringing him in, right? That's- I get it. You know what I mean? Like, that's totally fair. But I do think that there's a football – there's a logical football reason why you might do it. And quickly,
5: it's got to be the right situation, the right coach. You know, Doug Marone's not convincing Jacksonville to bring this guy in because they're going to make a decision on him maybe at the end of the year. But if you're entrenched and you got a nice long-term contract, maybe that is a hill you would be willing to die on because the, because the talent is so good. I say good luck to you.
4: Okay. Our final topic – my final takeaway. So the Steelers, I guess Ben more specifically, maybe Ben himself revealed um, that he had three torn tendons in his elbow um, last year, which sounds painful. Um, and I guess he had said that, or the team had said that like they couldn't find a previous case of it in a quarterback. He's lost weight. Um, you know, to be fair, I mean, we've, we, we, we poke fun at him and uh, fun at him and everything else. He actually did look good. Um, he looks like he's in good shape. I, Gresh, I, I like. I think the Steelers are sort of like lying in the weeds, and this is why I want to make this the last topic because that's 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 your squad, right? I think they're sort of lying in the weeds as like a team that could be like thirteen and three or fourteen and two, and here's the reason why. Whoa, Tomlin kept them pretty level last year mm-hmm. with a horrific quarterback situation, mm-hmm. and I just think like a team goes through that. And I think that there's like a long-term benefit for having gone through that where the team had become reliant on Ben over the years. Maybe different parts of the team realize we're pretty good. Like like the offensive line, the receivers are getting, like I think you got some promise in the receiver group. Now Juju Smith-Schuster is going to have to break, you know, come back around and Deontay Johnson's going to have to develop. Um, You know, and then that defense, like the defense has been bad for a long time. And that was a really good group last year. And now you got like promising young guys like TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Devin Bush who should get better.
5: I thought like, that trade was awful at the time. And, I mean, they look brilliant now because not only did they get Minka in their system for what was it, the 13, 12 games last year, whatever the number, 10, whatever the number turned out to be, he is now that guy on the back end, Bert, that helps give them the identity that they lost when Polamalu left.
4: And they got him. Like he was in the middle of the second year of his rookie contract. I mean, so yeah. they have him cheap for the next couple of years too. I just really like where the Steelers are organizationally. Obviously, they've been good at developing talent for a long, long time. But I think it's fair to say that there was a lull there on defense. Um, you know, really coming out of like the Palomalu, Ike Taylor, you know, the, the Ryan Clark. You know that that group, James Ferrier, like that that whole Aaron Smith that group. Lamar Woodley, I keep going. Like that group that was a really, really good defense, they won two Super Bowls with that defense. They never really got it back to that level. And I do feel like that defense has got a shot now to get close to where that group was. And you add Ben back into the mix, and I, like if he is what he was two or three years ago, now all of a sudden I think you're cooking with gas.
5: Well, and in talking about Ben, because to me that is a big key, because we know that a quarterback can have an effect on a on a defense as well by keeping the offense on the field, pounding it out. It'll be interesting to see what James Conner chooses to do here this year, given his medical situation. And it looks like he's going to play. Okay, but yeah. look, I mean, and if you've got him, and you maybe you manage the carries a little bit, you make sure you take care of him. But if Roethlisberger has evolved the way, like. You know, Tom Brady has evolved a little bit, even though Brady still wants to throw it, you know, 600 times a year. If it means winning football games, I think he's at the point in the league to where he's like, hey, man, the W is what really matters, so I don't care how we get it done. And if Ben adapts to that and stays upright and is healthy and they can run the ball, uh, I don't know about 13, 14 wins, but could they be an 11-win team this year? Yeah. They they could be and bird I I think they're a team that is in part flying under the radar. The result last year, there's no question. But there, you know, Roethlisberger is now in that spot to where you start to look at him and say, okay, what
4: is left? All right, that's a really good point, Gresh. Ben Ben is getting older. I believe he's thirty eight now. We've gotten so used to seeing quarterbacks like Manning and Brady and Breeze get into their forties and still play. We've sort of taken that for granted, but. It's a fair question. And I actually think we may have lost Gresh there. There's a vicious storm ripping through the Northeast right now. So there have been some technical snafus here and there in this week's podcast. But we appreciate Gresh coming out always from WPRO. Gresh will be back with us next week. And we will get to our special guest right after this.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
6: Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
7: Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs?
4: All right, we're going to welcome back one of our favorite guests. I thought he'd be able to give us pretty unique perspective. We talked a little earlier in the po- podcast about the prospect of guys opting out. Um, and I thought he'd be able to give a good perspective because, you know, A, he played at the major college level. B, he covers both levels of the sport, so he knows both of them intimately. And C, he played in the NFL. So we're going to welcome back Brady Quinn. Um, Brady, what's going
8: on? How much, Albert. Ho- hope you're doing well. Thanks again for having me on. You got it, bud.
4: All right. So, like, let's start here. And I I want to start with sort of the top line here. You know, this looks like it's going to be a pretty good quarterback group. You get Trevor Lawrence coming out. We've talked about him on the pod in the past. Justin Fields, who I know you did a couple of his games at least last year, right, at Ohio State. Um, Trey Lance at North Dakota State seems to be picking up some steam. So, you know, the news happened. The news came on Tuesday. Rashad Bateman uh, the, 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 star receiver from the university of Minnesota opted out of the 2020 season. Um, and you know, on top of that, we had last week, Caleb Farley, who star defensive back at Virginia tech opt out of his, uh, fourth season in Blacksburg. So you know, Brady, I want to start with the quarterbacks. And I know, you know, you were sort of somebody who you didn't have to weigh a decision like this, but you did have to weigh a decision on whether or not you were going to declare for the draft. Um, you know, if one of these kids came to you and asked you what they should do, and I know it's different in every case, what do you think the first thing you'd tell them would be?
8: I think the first thing I'd tell them is that, you know, their situation is very specific to, you know, how they foresee what they want to accomplish in college football. So I think for Trevor Lawrence, you know, he's got to decide. He's already won the national championship. He hasn't won a Heisman. He might want to win another one after the way, you know, last year went. But, you know, I think for him it's about answering answer the question is, does he want to try to go win another? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how does he view himself after this year? You know, obviously he's going to leave and he's going to go to the next level. I think that's a given. But the question becomes, you know, does he feel like he has more to prove? Does he feel like, um, you know, I'm sure they've, they've talked to, uh, whether it's agents or potential agents, I, I, I should say, because they're preparing him for, uh, you know, what happens after the season to sign with an agent and prepare for all that. You know, what's the feedback you're getting? Are you definitively looked at as a top five, number one overall quarterback? Uh, it, can you improve your stock? Um, that's one question. I mean, you go back to the beginning of last college football season, Trevor Lawrence did get off to a hot start, right? That was some of the conversation was like, where's Trevor Lawrence in, in talk of this whole Heisman campaign? And obviously he ended up not winning it. He wasn't able to, to overcome some of that. So those, those are the questions that you're trying to answer, I think, not only for himself and his own head, but I think if I'm looking at it, from his perspective, for me, there would have to be postseason aspirations. If you told me that they're only going to play an all-ACC conference schedule and one non-conference game, and I'm the number one quarterback going into it, and there's nothing else in the line, and the only thing I really have is risk, and I can't improve my stock anymore, it might be hard for me to come back. It, it really might be knowing that the season could be canceled, you could get injured. I'm sure he's got an insurance policy, but – that could play a factor into how teams are looking at him, especially if Justin Fields plays, plays well, and maybe he looks like he's a comparable prospect. Uh, all those things start kind of factoring into it. And, and I think for Trevor Lawrence, you know, he probably has the most to lose only mm-hmm. because he's the guy that's kind of sitting as that, you know, can't miss top. prospect. Yeah. Number one overall prospect at quarterback.
4: So how would the decision-making be different if you were Justin Fields then? And you know, one thing that's interesting I've heard quarterbacks, like coaches, some of the gurus say, well, you want to have a certain number of throws at the college level. So I'm wondering if like the equation changes based on the fact that like a Fields or a Lance at North Dakota State hasn't played as much and, right. and whether your own development might kind of come into the picture there.
8: 100%. You know, I, again, I, I go I kind of go back to my decision to come back to my senior year um, for me, it was about what I still wanted to accomplish. I wanted to graduate. I wanted to, you know, try to finish and win a national championship with my teammates, the guys I came in with. But if, if I was running an offense that I didn't feel like was going to help me advance or prepare me for the next level, I may have looked at that and thought, why am I going to spend another year here running a college offense if, if it's only about these aspirations when I, I want to go to the next level and get there? So if Charlie Weiss wasn't there, if the system that he was running wasn't in place, I don't know if I would have came back um I'm not sure it would have been enough because I think all those things play you know the you weighted weigh average you weighted average all of them and then you they all factor in on it so for Justin Fields 100% like the fact that he had one season starting it was a great season the more he played the better he got I I think even an agent or other people would tell him we want to see more from you you want we want to see you continue to develop you know playing from the pocket we want to see how you can carry the team at times if you don't have a rushing attack because they did pretty much for the majority of last year. Same thing with Lance. I mean, you're going to look at all these guys and say they'd want to see more from them and see, it was just one outlier year. Did they take a a step back? They have a quote unquote sophomore slump in their second year playing those things becoming extremely important for the evaluation of, of, of all these players moving forward.
4: How much do you think like for, for any of the three, like your responsibility, your teammates kind of comes into it. And I, and I know, I don't feel like a lot of people think about that, but it's different for the quarterback, right? Like because Rashad Bateman can leave Minnesota. And yeah, it sucks. He's a great player, you know, like and it I'm I'm sure if you're PJ Fleck, you're you're probably like really disappointed now that you're gonna lose a guy who's like an all-American caliber receiver, but it maybe doesn't affect everybody else the way a quarterback leaving does. So you know, four uh, Trevor Lawrence, for Justin Fields, for Trey Lance, all of whom have, I, you know, aspired to win at the highest level at their levels of college football. Like, how much do you think your responsibility to the guys around you plays into that?
8: I think it, it factors into their mind big time. I mean, probably not their parents, probably not, you know, a potential advisor or agent who's trying to direct them. Um, but it definitely factors into their mind because you're viewed as the leader. I mean, when, when times of adversity hit or, you know, you're off training in the summer and preparing for the season, everyone's looking at you. Everyone's waiting for you to break them down when they're done. Everyone's waiting for you to put together some sort of passing, you know, skelly or, you know, throwing routes on air. You know, that all falls on you. So, you know, you you do kind of look at it as you take ownership of it. It's your team. You know, this is a, a byproduct of you and your leadership skills. So that, I think that definitely weighs heavily on them. And that would be the hardest thing, I think, for me, uh, even if I was in Trevor... Lawrence's position to opt out for that reason is you know it almost looks like you know you were a hypocrite um, to say all the things you probably have in the past as a leader and then to not be there for your team when they needed you to like I'm sure they'd understand but it's just different because of how important the position is and and everything that you've set up to that point it doesn't seem genuine then when you look back on it if you're not able to owe up your end of the bargain to everyone else you've been kind of talking to so um, you know you're right and I, I think for Rashad Bateman, too, like, you know, for all these players that we don't know their background, we don't know if, you know, they, they don't want to risk it because, you know, the, the payout of what they're going to make is life-changing for their family and, and, and for the other people that are around them. You know, that plays a factor into it. For some of these guys, they might feel like, I still have more to gain, and I need to come back to improve my draft stock and all of that, too. So that's another way of looking at it. I just think there's, there's so many different angles and, and ways that I think guys can, can look and make decisions on it. Um, And even outside of that, I think players now more than ever, Albert, they are in touch with their fan base.
4: Mm
7: -hmm. I
8: mean, these kids, when they decide to commit to a school and they get there and they play early, they get all these followers on social media and they care about that. And so think about not just their teammates, that fan base that they feel connected to, like that social media part of them is like meaningful now. And so that even becomes a part of like, not only are they potentially, like, leaving their own teammates, right. they're leaving that fan base. They're leaving their their social media fan base moving forward. So, like you
4: mentioned, I thought one of the things that was interesting that you mentioned there was just the idea of chasing a championship and how big that is. And, um, you know, you played at a place where, I think this is fair to say, right? At Notre Dame, like, being an athlete there is something that can kind of follow you for the rest of your life, right? Like, and there are probably benefits that you still feel from being the Notre Dame quarterback right now, right? Like, and you probably will for a long time. Do you think that the idea of like, I can win a champ, like, like Trevor Lawrence can become the first two-time national championship quarterback in the history of the Clemson program. Justin Fields can win a championship at Ohio state. Like, I want you to expound a little bit on what you were saying there about just the idea of it being just like a round robin big 10 or ACC season versus having a chance to chase a championship and even like maybe some of the economic impact that could have on you the rest of your life.
8: Yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll kind of tell you a short story and then hopefully that'll help Mm -hmm. you understand. So I remember when I was being recruited by Notre Dame, one of the things that kind of appealed to me and stood out was, you know, they would put up, um, you know, a Jersey, and they would put all the former All-Americans that have worn your jersey at the school. So when you came in for your official visit, they'd have this list of all these, these players, right? Well, there was anyone for number 10 at Notre Dame. And I thought to myself, wow, like how cool would that be to try to, you know, go and have a, you know, a story career at Notre Dame in this number. So the next time a kid comes around to wear that number, he's looking at me on that list. And then he's trying to build on that list or he's trying to beat, you know, what I did on that list. Like it's just something about that appealed to me. And so I'm sure for a lot of these guys, like they have those goals and aspirations. Like it's, it's hard to look at this, this finite period of time in your life where you have the opportunity to accomplish a goal and, and you know that that, that next thing is going to be there for you in going to the NFL, but you might feel like my work's not finished. Like my, I haven't accomplished my goal. Like I think if you look at the common denominators amongst all uh, quarterbacks and really guys who achieved at a high level – I think in general, like they, they all are, they have to-do lists. They have like goals and things they're looking to check off and say, I accomplished that. I did that. Like, that's how they're wired. That's how they're geared. I get up every day and have that. I'm sure these guys do too. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that I think they probably look at it and say, like I'm getting anxiety thinking about leaving because I haven't accomplished what I set to do. And, I, and so if I haven't accomplished what I set to do, it feels like a failure and, and, I, and I need to do it in this amount of time that I have because I can never go back and do it. So there is that, like, mindset that I think a lot of times quarterbacks and players, but probably more so quarterbacks because we're like this, like we're obsessed over it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, the, that's a hard thing about, you know, even contemplating not playing and leaving, and at least in the case of if it was Justin Fields or, or looking at Trey Lance, like those guys, you know, and, and Trey Lance has been accomplished, and so has Trevor Lawrence, but Justin Fields hasn't. So, or, or more wanting to accomplish more too. Like those are all things that you look at and you say, I can do that right now. Am I really going to be able to sit on the sidelines and watch these guys play when I know I could have had an opportunity to do that? Like, that would eat away at you forever. And then you start – and you really don't think about it in the time, but you start thinking about the historical impact of of what that would mean, coming back to your school and and them, you know, seeing a Trevor Lawrence statue or seeing, you know, his Heisman or seeing whatever the case is or Justin Fields for that matter. You start thinking about that. And you start thinking about the impact. Like, for example, if you go back to Columbus, Ohio – I mean, Hmm. if you want a job, you're always gonna everybody that
4: this is this is where Brady Quinn's from for everybody who doesn't know. So he's from Yeah, so
8: so I can tell you firsthand how many Ohio State alums and football players which one? look it's a great city. I was lucky to grow up there and, and be from there. But if those guys want a job, they come back, they're hired. And they can be really successful. Bobby Hoying's incredibly successful in development back there in Columbus. You can go on down the line and looking at some of these guys and the careers they've built for themselves, or whether it's back in Columbus or somewhere else amongst the alumni base. And, and so, you know, I don't want to get into a whole long-winded discussion mm-hmm. about, like, what's being discussed at the Pac-12 and the We Are United and that whole BS movement. But, like, it's short-sighted because they don't see – how big, like, the brand they're at now is. And if these guys – I'm not saying that they're going to ruin it or, or taint the reputation at that school, but you're taking for granted the opportunity you have in front of you to go win a national championship at Ohio State, to go be historic in what you're able to accomplish, or same thing at Clemson, or, or same thing for Trey Lance.
4: So, like, why don't you take us through your decision? Like, because I, I just, like, sort of like to know what that was like. Like, because I – I, I i'm assuming you, you put your name into the board right like like in like did you get a first round grade back like what yeah what's sort of, like and, and what what went into yeah because i'd assume for any kid like that amount of money sitting there it's got to be like like how do i walk away from this so like like how did you ultimately like come to that decision and how hard was it to come to that decision that you that you did want to go back to school
8: uh, I think it's actually one I wish I would have given a little bit more thought to. Um, but I was naive. You know, I didn't grow up in a family who had anyone that played in the NFL before. And so, um, you know, knowing knowing what I had there in front of me and what I hadn't accomplished, like, again, like, I had that checklist. And I was like, didn't win a national championship. You know, wanted a, ch- wanted a chance to do that with the guys I came in with. I mean, I came in with the guy who was my best friend. Who was the best man at my wedding. We went to school together. Mm-hmm. Like him and I would have these conversations and like, I just felt like I had some unfinished business at the college level, finishing my college degree at Notre Dame. That was one of the reasons why I went there. I mean, the first thing I said to myself was where else could I get the best education and play the highest level of football in Notre Dame? You know, I, I, I had the chance to look at Stanford. Um, I had the chance to look at Northwestern, other mm-hmm. great schools, but the football program wasn't the same level. So, you know, for me, it really had a lot to do with that. You know, I talked about the offense and Charlie and wanting to continue to expound on that. And, and they did. I mean, he really did, you know, take off some handcuffs and let me have more freedom to change protections and routes and audibles and all that. I mean, we went to a no huddle the entire uh, second half of that, that season, my senior season, and I was just calling plays. I mean, I'd be out there and I would have five different plays I could look at and call based on the techniques, based on the coverage and everything else I was seeing. So it was helpful in that regard for me, too, as a quarterback to develop. Um, and, and so, you know, that played into it. And then I think, look, when you when you get back that grade, yeah, you, you look at it, but you also um, you also look at okay, like what you put out the scenario of what if I came back, like mm-hmm. now, what kind of insurance policy am I getting? How can I protect myself if I really want to stay and do this and finish all these other things that I had for myself? Um, and, and look, we could have used the money. I mean, my family wasn't in a great financial position at that point. Um, it would have probably helped them had I left a year earlier than waiting another year and trying to push some of that stuff off and, and strain to make it through another year of financial difficulty. But um, that, you know, that, that's, that's what you got away. And that's a reality. And I was, I was fortunate enough to have two hardworking, great parents who valued the education and valued the fact that if I didn't get my degree, then it would only become that much harder in the future. Um, and who were able to, you know, work so hard to make it through and make it through another year uh, to allow me to have a chance to go back to school and really do the things that I wanted to do. So um yeah, I think where where your grade comes back at factors in, but like I said, I use that more as leverage for an insurance policy. So then mm-hmm. once I got that insurance policy, I was like, all right, now I have the peace of mind to go out there and I don't give a crap if someone knocks my head off. I, I know I at least have the peace of mind of a piece of paper that says I'm insured for X amount of dollars.
4: Do you um like you said like it sounded like at the start you like you might think about that a little differently now? Um, what was the, like, if there is a regret from having gone back to school, what would it have been?
8: Um, I think in, in one, knowing, I mean, now I'm going back to school right now. So knowing yeah. that, like, hey, I'm going <laughs> back, you, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm probably doing it at a, a really difficult time in my life. right? Um, probably looking at, I mean, look, where I went in the draft, how that ended up playing out. Um, you know, you always look back and say, what if, like, how could I have changed things? How, how would have things been different? Um, you know, where I would have, where would I have been taken amongst that class of, of quarterbacks? You know, and that, would was, I like, that was
4: like Jay Cutler, Matt Leinart, yep. uh, yep. Vince Young, Vince right? Young,
8: yeah, I grew. So, you know, w- would I have benefited from maybe not being a first round pick, not making that money initially, but being in a maybe better situation or maybe, you know, depending on where I ended up, you know, it being a better, better, more stable organization where I wasn't facing a coaching change to it, to, you know, years into my career um, and a new general manager right away, and then getting traded the year after that. You know, it's like, you know, that the lack of um, stability, I think, hurt in that way. So those are things you contemplate. I also think it was an emotional decision. You know, I, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, as you said. The last game of that junior season, we ended up losing to Ohio State. Like, there mm-hmm. was a part of me as a competitor that, like, ate me up inside. Like, if I was Trevor Lawrence, and, and, and if and – like, if I was in his shoes – it would eat me up inside to have ended my career the way it did. Now, granted, it didn't end any better versus LSU in, in the Sugar Bowl, but still, like, there, that was a part of me that that's why I wanted to come back because I do not want right. to end it that way. So um, that also factors into it. That's why I think I, I looking back, like, I allowed that to no doubt play a decision in my mind. I was so heartbroken after the Fiesta Bowl that I think it led to like, no, screw this, no matter what. I'm coming <laughs> back because I, I feel like I want to I want to write this shit. And I, and I knew Iowa State was going to be good. And so I was hoping that I was going to have another chance against them.
4: So your dream would have been like to beat them in the national title game.
8: In- 100%. 100% <laughs> that was kind of like
4: rolling through your head. <laughs> it would have been
8: redemption that next yeah. year, no doubt about it. I mean, again, like that game was more meaningful to me. Than, than probably any other in my life just because I know how Ohio mm-hmm. State fans are <laughs> yeah. and I grew up from Columbus. So uh, that, that would have been like that dream scenario, yeah.
4: I want to ask you real quick like, – like I'm going to ask you about these guys as players too, but like, before we get there, I wonder if like the Tua thing – and you're down there in Miami. I wonder if the Tua thing kind of would affect your decision-making too just because he had about as bad an injury as you could possibly have as a football player – and he still went 5th overall. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen where quarterbacks are immune to a lot of conditions that other players are like affected by. And I just wonder if like if you're one of these guys if you look at it you say, "Shoot. Even if I get hurt, like look at what just happened with Tua." <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like so I sort of wonder if you would look at Tua and say, at least at quarterback, like other positions are different because you're probably a little bit more reliant in your athleticism and the rest of it. Shelf life's shorter at other positions. But would you look at the two, would you look at Tua and say, I might be okay?
8: Yeah, I think that would almost provide like a safety net for your decision to come back where you're like, well, what's everyone concerned about? If I get hurt, not only one do I have an insurance policy if I don't go five, but even if I do get hurt. It, it's, you know, it shows you that you know, these guys are going to be fine. Like they're still going to view them as, a, like you said, a position that isn't going to rely necessarily on its legs. Now, you know, Justin Fields and Trey Lance tend to run a little bit more than Trevor right. Lawrence, even though I, I think we've underestimated how good of an athlete he is. We started <laughs> to see that in the playoff and towards the end of last year. Yeah. He's a much better athlete than people give him credit. Right. Um, so I think that'll play into the factor – that'll factor into it. And I also think there's like this stigma – I mean, if you're a quarterback and you sit out and do that, everyone's gonna be going like, "Wait, what?" Like now you've got to answer that question. Like you're gonna be the face of this franchise, and that's how you're viewed even as in in college. Are you really gonna be able to look everyone in the eye and be like, "Yeah, this is 100% a business decision." There's no other way of looking at it. You can use COVID as that veil to kind of hide it, but to the best of my knowledge, none of these guys have any sort of health concerns. Maybe if a family member did, maybe that would play a factor, but. Um, again, that's still going to be a question you're going to have to answer.
4: What do you think of these guys as players?
8: I love them. I really do. I feel like all three are going go to go top five. Um, I haven't had as much chance to watch Trey Lance, but from what I've seen, it's weird. He reminds me of Dak Prescott. Yeah. Um, just the way he runs, the way he can kind of take off and create. Obviously, you know, decision-making, same thing was something that we saw with Dak during his time at Mississippi State. He's always taking care of the football. Um, he probably is, in my opinion, the third uh, of these guys, if I was going to rank them. Trevor's the number one just because, A, we, we've seen him accomplish so, already so much in his you know, 2 years starting. But it's also the way he plays. I, I think you know, if you look at fields and you go, okay, how's he going to transition to the NFL? I don't have any of those reservations with Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Like from the throws I've seen him make, from his pocket movement, like there are some things – like there was a couple throws I put on my Instagram a long time ago back when I had social media – and I just shook my head and I go, man, like, that's what you drill. That's what you, you you work on even as a pro is the ability to move your feet one, you know, one step, move your feet two-step and get the ball out, you know, so you, so you can catch back up to the timing and rhythm of that play because that's so important at the NFL level. And, and he does all of that. Like, he can make the awkward, you know, body throws for a guy who's taller and longer arm, longer leg, which is not easy to do. Like, he can make those throws – Um, And and he's a better athlete than we give him credit. Like, he can take off and run or hurt you with his legs. So, he checks every single box off that I think you'd be looking at.
4: Is he – Is he – Like, you hear him, like, on that Elway, Manning, Luck. Like, there are very few guys. Like, do you look at him that way? And I know maybe –
8: like hundred and, percent. Yeah. And I saw him back when he was, I think going to be a junior in high school and like mm-hmm. Mac Jones was there as the quarterback at Alabama. And I don't know if I've told you the story before, but I was at an Under Armour camp yeah. up in Baltimore and I, I just remember watching him throw thinking, this guy looks so much better than everyone else. You just, you viewed him as a prodigy and he's kind of always been that when he got in high school and now since he's gotten to college football. And and so, yeah, like he looks, he looks like that sort of prospect that will fall in line the next question becomes, where does he go? And what organization is he going to be a part of? Mm-hmm. You know, Elway obviously went to a good place. You can make the case, Luck, you know, went to an organization that I think is viewed as a good organization, the Colts. But I don't know how how well they built out around him right. during his time there, which led to a lot of injuries and led to a, a shortened career. And I don't think we ever saw him maximize what he was capable of. But there's no doubt he was, he was on a track record to maybe be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. So – Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm at on him. Fields, I think the more I watch him, the more I like him. I think the one thing I'll be curious to see, because you saw it a little bit versus Clemson and then a little bit versus Wisconsin. The more people who tested him and pressured him and when he had to be in must-pass situations, he struggled a bit. Like, and look, a lot of young guys are first year starting will do this, but he struggled to find a second and third guy in some of his reads and progressions. And so that's what I'd like to see from him this year is like being able to sit back there, scan the whole field and let it rip. You know, not ever having to rely on him to have to take off to make something happen. You know, being able to play from the pocket. I know he's big and strong and athletic. Uh, I just want to see him do that more consistently because they've got such an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver. Someone's going to be open. Like I can promise you, someone will be open at Ohio State next year.
4: Yeah, and and he's like, I mean, physically, he's everything you want, right? Like physically, right. he's – he's. I mean, maybe he's not Lawrence, but he's not far off.
8: No, he's not far off at all. I think the biggest thing he lacks is he hasn't had the championship. He hasn't he hasn't had the experience, um, but he's pretty darn close. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how he continues to progress if he can close that gap this year.
4: Okay, last thing for me then, and I just want to make this a general thing because we've seen some of the – I think like kind of like how like the NFL season is going to be sideways, right? Like, like we've seen guys co- coming on the COVID list, going off the COVID list. I think it's fair to say we're probably going to see a little bit of that probably all year long. Even if things go really well, there's going to be sort of a different field of this year. Like how important do you think the, the the quarterback's going to be this year in keeping everything together and keeping everything level, um, uh, like I've sort of thought about this like what teams are going to be at the most at the biggest advantage and how like maybe having that steadying presence in the locker room is really going to mean something for you know a team like a Seattle like a New Orleans like a Kansas City like how do you think all of this is going to sort of change the role of the quarterback or maybe kind of put more on his plate that he already had
8: yeah, so obviously, you know, we view it as the most important position. And, and reason being is because at least for that, that one-third phase, you know, that player, that singular player has the most control to adapt and change. And so when things don't look like they're going, or like you've got a bad play call, this is a bad look for this, you can change that. You can get them out of it. You can, you can find a way to find a solution. And I think that's what this year is going to be all about. It's going to be about how do you adapt to change, how do you adapt to adversity, and so those those teams that have that veteran presence that you're talking about, a quarterback, are going to be the teams that excel. And they are going to be the teams that I think not only adjust to the change on their roster due to COVID, uh, but potentially even their coaching staff. Like, let's not forget, too, you know, what happens if you're in Tampa and Bruce Arians, who obviously is in the at-risk category, has had past health conditions. Why well, i just something happens to him. And now Byron Lefferts is calling the plays instead. I mean, you've got Tom Brady out there, like – He'll, he's played a lot of football. He'll be able to figure it out. You know, if you don't have that guy out there, it's a different story, right? And right. Then, then, then do those guys in the locker room or do those guys on the team, like have faith in that guy to be able to make those, those changes and adapt? So it's a delicate thing. And I think this season more so than ever will test those quarterbacks who have played a ton of football and who have, you know, got the ability to adapt and to change in the fly in game in particular uh and, and I think that's where it's gonna be showcased is the teams that the teams that aren't trying to, you know are not trying to break in a new quarterback, I think are the ones that obviously are, are gonna be able to excel and, and we might see some of the the biggest margins of difference in, in the wins and losses than ever before for that reason.
4: All right. He's former Notre Dame NFL quarterback, Brady Quinn. You can catch him. And why don't you do this, Brady? Because you're so many places now. Um, football season's coming. Where can everybody catch you?
8: Yeah, so I'm on SiriusXM NFL Radio Monday through Wednesday from 11 to 3 p.m. Eastern, Uh, Fox Sports Radio Sunday nights, 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern with Jonas Knox. I do uh, digital work for CBS Sports HQ, so either online or on their app, you can see me there. And then uh, hopefully if college football season gets kicked off, I'll be on the Big Noon Kickoff pregame show uh, for those games and then potentially even some NFL games uh, once the season gets started.
4: Big Noon Kickoff, same crew's back, right?
8: (laughs) Correct. Same crew is back. We've already got a lot of debates, a lot of things going on. As I said to you, uh, there's uh, some big differences between myself and maybe some, uh, one other person on our show in regards to uh, play the pay for play, not name, name, image and likeness, Uh, which I I think, I think this individual doesn't understand the difference, but, uh, but the pay for play aspect of college football.
4: I, I think I know who you're talking about. And you're also, you know, you, you know what, based on something we just talked about, maybe you can go to Liner and you can kind of, you guys can figure out who would have gone first in 2006 for us. Next time we have you on, you can give me the answer.
8: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would have said himself. And look, based on the career he had probably, but uh, I, I think even he'd admit it was like, all right, well, why was if I ended up in a different situation? Although Arizona wasn't too bad, you know? Yeah.
4: Yeah. So yeah, he, he, might, he, might,
8: he might have been partying a little too much out there. I don't know.
4: Well, I wouldn't blame him based on the celebrities. Those guys were at the end. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate you, Brady. Thanks for coming out.
2: Anytime.
8: <laughs>
4: All right, thanks to Brady once again. Um I knew he'd be good on that topic. He delivered like he always does. People who listen to the podcast, you guys are super familiar with him. We're going to jump into the six-pack now. You guys know how this works since the pandemic started. We went back to doing the six-pack every Tuesday. We put the call out for questions on Twitter. We gather the questions. I pick 6. If I pick yours, that means you get a like, I hit the little heart button there on twitter and you get an answer here on the podcast question number one coming from benjamin rancine that's at b rancine rancine are we going to see coaches who would normally be on the hot seat given more of a grace period this year since the season will be so volatile benjamin i would say yes now there have been a few coaches that i would say people think got a stay of execution last year dan quinn was one matt patricia was another um certainly doug marone was a third those three guys the teams actually put out statements after explaining why they were moving forward with the sitting head coaches so um we have situations like that i I think if all things are equal unless and this is barring like you know a tire fire in one spot something really goes wrong a locker room quits on a guy whatever it might be i do think coaches are going to get more of a grace period um for two reasons number one is the obvious is what you mentioned. This could be a very volatile season. We don't know what we're going to have as far as players hitting the COVID list on Fridays and Saturdays. What happens if you got to take your quarterback off the field for a couple of weeks? Like there's just, there's so many different questions that relate back to the pandemic. And so, you know, I think this could have again, like sort of like that 1987 strike year feel, And that obviously I think would be at least a crutch for some coaches who could be in trouble at the end of the year to stand on the number two reason. I think this is one that people probably overlook. There's going to be a revenue shortfall. Teams are going to lose a lot of local revenue this year. That's going to be one place where this is really going to be felt. So will teams be less willing to eat years on guys contracts? Um, A lot of times when coaches fire coaches get fired, um, they'll have, they'll walk away with two or three years left on their contracts. I think teams are going to be a little less willing to do that this year. Question number two, this is from Heather Phillips. That's at miss Heather five, six, seven, eight. What are the Patriots realistic chances of winning the division and going to the playoffs and even making a run at the Super Bowl? I don't see them getting by Kansas city and maybe even a team like Pittsburgh. I throw Baltimore in there. Another top contender in the AFC, obviously Tennessee was in the championship game last year. Houston has been in the playoffs for the last five years. Are they in that group? I, maybe. you know I, I'd never doubt Belichick, but they've lost a lot of manpower now. They've lost, I mean, basically their entire linebacker crew, crew from last year. Dante Hightower opted out. They lose Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins. When the Patriots have been good on defense, they've generally been really good at linebacker. This year they probably won't be. Um, In the secondary, they lose Pat Chung. They lose Dron Harmon. That's a lot of snaps at the safety position. I just – there's a lot of defensive infrastructure going out the door. You lose Brady on offense. You lose Marcus Cannon on offense. I'm fascinated to see the way this works, and I don't think they'll be bad. Like, I don't think they're going to be like 5-11 because I think Belichick's too good. I think that organization's too well run. Like right now, gun to my head, I'd say like nine and seven, and they're in it until the end, and maybe, maybe sneak in as a six or seven seed. A lot of pressure on the Buffalo Bills to go win the division. Question number three is from Charlie Works at Millsbury Shoe. Most likely scenario for AB 84 and a landing spot. I mentioned it earlier when I was talking with Gresh. I really do think Seattle is the most likely landing spot. Does it happen? I think he gets another shot. Again, the reason why you're buying low on him right now, and we sort of, this conversation got cut off because of the technical difficulty earlier, but I really feel like most coaches can look at it and legitimately say to themselves, this guy has to like kind of earn the trust of the locker room based on what happened in Oakland. He's going to have to earn the trust of the coaches based on what happened in New England. Uh, and he's going to be coming in, in all likelihood, on a low-money deal. And so you look at the risk-reward, and again, this is if morally you can get around some of the stuff that happened there, but um, you you look at the risk-reward, the risk at that point becomes very, very low if you've got the power and the hammer to cut him whenever you need to cut him. And uh, the reward... Of course, I mean, we know how good a player he is. So it'd just be interesting to see him in the mix in Seattle with some of the young players they have on offense. Like really promising guys like DK Metcalf, Will Disley coming back off of injury. Um, You know, Chris Carson obviously still there in the backfield. Seattle would be super interesting. Question number four, this is from Pete Dickerson at Pete D S C are there any teams likely to keep four quarterbacks in the roster based on the COVID test situation, um, which could sideline more than one QB at a time and ruin their season outcome? Pete. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. You would keep the fourth quarterback in the practice squad though. And I think a lot of teams will have a practice squad quarterback. I also think that if a team is going to do a quarantine quarterback situation, that's where you could see four quarterbacks in the roster. How would that work? Well, you'd have three quarterbacks on the roster, and then you have a fourth guy who's basically working from home. And it would have to be like a mature guy who you know is going to take care of business, who has background in what you do. So that could be like a Drew Stanton going and playing with the Bucs. He obviously has background with Bruce Arians from Arizona. Like Josh McCown going back to Philly maybe for another year and being the quarantine quarterback there. Definitely something to consider. Question number five. This is from A Walker at A underscore walk 145. Do they finish the season? I'm confident they're going to start the season. I'm less confident they're going to finish the season. Again, and I can't say this enough. I can't emphasize this enough. However we're doing in the country, we'll reflect be reflected in how well the nfl is doing if the country and they probably screwed that up the way i said it however the country is doing it will be reflected in the nfl if the country is in a better spot when it comes to the virus when we get to september october november i think they can pull this off the protocols are good these mini bubbles i think will work Um, I think if we get to it now, it's going to be a rocky season and there's going to be all kinds of stuff you don't normally deal with, but can they get to the season? Yes. If it's as bad as it is now or getting worse, I think then it becomes a challenge. So to me, this all depends on how we're doing in the country. And the reason why, when you're not in a bubble, you are going to be dealing with some things that are out of your control. You can be completely responsible about everything. Well, you still have coaches and players whose kids are going to school. You have still have coaches and players whose wives are going to work. There's a lot of touch points outside of the building that you're still going to be exposed to. And so I still think this is going to come down to how we are doing as a country when we get to the fall. I'm 100% praying that we get both college and pro football. I would love to see that. Question number six, final question from Jackson Brown, the fourth. That's at Go Blue Forever. Um, he has two questions, so I'll answer both of them. It's a two part question. That's an old journalism trick. Question number one, how does the NFL handle possible postponement of games? I do not think, I think unless we have a mass number of games, if there was a single outbreak, a single team outbreak, I think we'd probably be more likely to see forfeiture than we would to be see, to see postponement because you'd have to add a week to the season. Maybe they wind up doing that. Maybe they like, take away the Super Bowl bye week and add a week 18 where postponed games could be played. I don't know how you, that would all work. Um, I just don't think it happens. I think the more likely scenario is that if a team has an outbreak that where it can't play, then I think we do see forfeitures rather than postponements. Second question, second part of the two part question, which is totally unrelated. Of course, again, old journalism trick. Why do you, why do people still think Josh Allen is better than Sam Darnold? I think it's because we don't know what Sam Darnold would do in a better situation. And his situation has been really sideways the last few years. Josh Allen is in a situation that is getting progressively better. Um, it was a little bit of a tear down in his rookie year. Year two, they started the offensive line fixed. Mitch Morris was there um, as the big ticket free agent signing from Kansas city. They added a couple of receivers and Josh Brown and, and Cole Beasley. They're adding Stefan Diggs this year. Devin is going into his second year. The coaching's solid. The program's solid. He hasn't had turnover in his play caller or his head coach. So Josh Allen's been in a pretty healthy situation coming up. We don't know what Sam Darnold would look like if everything was completely healthy. Hopefully we get to see it at some point. Appreciate you guys coming out. As always want your feedback, need your feedback. We'll value your feedback and use your feedback if you give it to us. Um, You can get to me on all my social media channels, at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram, and listen to all of our podcasts, not just this one. We've got the Week in Review podcast, which all of us at the MMQB are a part of. Jenny and Connor's podcast now drops twice a week. Gary's podcast comes to you on Monday mornings with our old buddy, Andy Benoit. You can get us all on one feed now, the MMQB NFL podcast feed. You can find it on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Same time next week. I'll see you guys then.
0: Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com Amex.
3: The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced.
0: Bring it
3: every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.
6: Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air?
3: For years, and I really like
1: it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning.